Hello, everybody. Welcome back. We're continuing to learn about the halachas of cooking on Shabbos. This is part six. <clears throat> so let's review what we learned last week. We learned that there's a klirishin, <coughs> first vessel, literally, a klisheni, a second, and the process of transferring is called iroi klirishin, pouring from a klirishin. So what's a klirishin? A klirishin means the pot that was on the fire, even though now it's off the fire, has the ability to cook menhatera. Irreclusion, the process of pouring from <coughs> from that vessel into another vessel, still has the status of a clerician and will cook whatever it touches in the process. And klisheni doesn't cook for the most part. Now, being that a clerician cooks, you can't put anything raw into a clerician, including spices or salt. We discussed that solid or semi-solid foods retain their clearition status, although they've been transferred to another plate. So a piece of hot chicken remains a clearition, and you can't spice it even though it's on a new plate. Today, I want to discuss the status of a klisheni and start to, to explain how the concept of Ein Bishel Achar Bishel works, which means that something which is cooked doesn't have the pro- prohibition of recooking. And next week, we'll go into that more in depth. So klisheni, when once something's been transferred to another bowl or plate, as we've said, generally doesn't cook. However, there are things that can get cooked, even minatera, in a klisheni. These things are known as kalehabishal, things which cook easily. The Gemara <clears throat> gives some examples of this. One example the Gemara gives of things which cook easily are certain types of sardines that all they need is some hot water, even from a klisheni, and they will cook. It's also apparent in the Gemara that salt is possibly something which can get cooked in a klisheni. It's clear in the Gemara that spices do not get cooked in a klisheni, and water and oil do not get cooked in a klisheni. So to summarize, the only things that we are confident do not get cooked in a klisheni are spices, water, and oil. Otherwise, anything else is a possible kalehabishal, is possibly something which can get cooked easily. And therefore, according to the Mishnah Bruro, we can't put it into a klisheni either. Other can have a little bit more of a lenient approach to what we consider Kalahabishal, but for now we're going to work with the Mishnaburu's approach. And he holds that you have to consider everything Kalahabishal other than those three things, spices, water, and oil, and therefore you can't put it into a cliché. So operationally this equals that basically you can't put anything into a cliché other than the above-mentioned three things for fear of it being a Kalahabishal. So if so... How do we make coffee on Shabbos? Why aren't we worried that coffee is kalehabishal? And you can't put it into a klisheni. You can't put it into a cup of hot water that you filled from the urn. So remember, the urn is a klisheni. And when you pour from the urn into the cup, so the pouring process is certainly a klisheni. But even after the, the, your mug has been filled and now you want to add coffee, it's a klisheni. So why aren't you worried that coffee is a kalahabishal? So essentially the answer is we are worried that it's a kalahabishal. And that's why we never put a tea bag into a klisheni because a tea bag certainly is kalahabishal. That's clear. Tea bag is considered pretty much, we're pretty confident that a tea, tea in a tea bag is considered a kalahabishal and it can't be put into a klisheni. However, instant coffee has been cooked or roasted already. 
and therefore it has the exemption of Ein Bishel Achar Bishel, that once something has been cooked, it can't be cooked again. And that's why it's permitted to put coffee into a klisheni. Sugar also has been cooked, and that's why you can put it into a klisheni. Milk, milk has been pasteurized, therefore it's been cooked. You can put it into a klisheni. So that's why you can make your coffee, in, even though you're making it in a, a klisheni. <clears throat> However, tea, like we said, you can't make that in a klisheni, and according to some skin, even in the klishlishi, which means even if you were to transfer from that cup into a third cup, you still can't use tea bags because tea bags are a, are a are certain that we consider it kalahabishal things that are cooked easily, and that's a good thing to to avoid. <clears throat> now let's examine soup on Shabbos. Assuming you have soup in its pot on a block hot plate or in your oven, so the soup in the pot is a klirishin. You then ladle it out into a bowl, so the bowl is a klisheni. Now, the ladle is a question if it adds another step. If the ladle adds another step, then the bowl would be a klishlishin. But for now, let's just assume it doesn't add another step, and the bowl is a klishenin. So the soup you have in your bowl on your table on Shabbos, let's assume that's klishenin soup. You want to add salt. Are you allowed to? So the answer is no, unless it is salt which has been cooked. But if the salt hasn't been cooked, then we're worried it'll get cooked even in your klishenin. Most salt has not been cooked. It's been heated, but it's not been cooked. It's possible that sea salt has gone through a cooking process, but that would need to be verified. Not all sea salt is cooked. So typically you would assume salt is not cooked, and if so, you can't put it even in a cliché. You'd have to wait until the soup has cooled down. Now, you would be allowed to add spices. Let's say you want to add garlic to your soup or, or something else, or hot pepper, because spices, as we said previously, are not calihabishal. So that you could do. Now, what about challah? You want to dip challah into your soup. Is that allowed? The answer is no. Why? Because challah has not been cooked. It has only been baked. The rule of aim bishel achar bishel, that cooking something which has been cooked can't be cooked again, is only if it's been cooked. But something which has been baked doesn't have that exemption. And it can't be immersed in a cliché for the same reason it may be challah bishel. So what about adding croutons, you know, the yellow croutons? The answer is that yellow croutons are not baked. They are fried, and fried is equivalent to cooking. Therefore, we do apply the rule of ein bishel, achar bishel, and you could add them to your soup. So again, your soup is a klisheni. Being that it's a klisheni, you have to worry about kalia bishel. Salt, we're worried about kalia bishel. You can't add that. Spices, you're not worried about kalia bishel. You could add that. Chala, it's not cooked. It's only baked. You have a problem with kalia bishel. Croutons, they are cooked. So you could add them, ambitial bishel. Now, coming back to the ladle, the truth is that the ladle does move it up to a klishlishi, and therefore you don't have to worry about the above-mentioned issues. It's not so simple, because the ladle, once it's immersed in the klishlishi in the soup pot enough times, it becomes as hot as the soup, and it doesn't generally have the ability to make it a klishlishi, but being that this whole issue isn't so clear to begin with, we're not machmir once the ladle is used, and that's why... It might be you've never seen anybody really be makbid not to put salt or to pile into their soup because the bowl is almost always a klishlishi because typically you use a ladle. So once you've made the bowl into a klishlishi and all these things that we're saying aren't, they're just a suffix um, if they are kalahabishal, khala, salt, etc. So therefore, you can put that into a klishlishi. 
However, that's salt, but that, I'm sorry, that's soup. But by challenge, you have the added aspect that it's a double gush, it's a solid or semi-solid item, and possibly a clerician. And therefore, there you certainly should be machmer on all the above-mentioned issues. You shouldn't dip your challah into this challah while it's still hot, and you shouldn't add salt to the challah while it's still hot for this reason. Now, what we, so what we have learned is that although a klisheni generally doesn't cook, it can cook, kaliyabishal can cook things which are easily cooked, and being we are, that we're not sure what is kaliyabishal, we have to assume everything is, other than spices, water, and oil, and therefore we refrain from salting or putting challah into hot soup while it's in a klisheni, and the only thing that is allowed is something which has been cooked before, because we apply the rule of ein bishal achar bishal, and we can rely that the ladle adds a kli, and therefore often the soup in your bowl on your Shabbos table is a kli shlishi, and then you don't have to worry about all of these issues. Moving on to the parasha. <clears throat> the parasha in this week, uh, the pasuk in this week's parasha, talks about Shabbos. And there's a whole number of sukkim about Shabbos, but among them one pasuk is, ki oisi beini uveneichem, lodas ki ani Hashem mekadishchem. Shabbos is a sign between us and Hashem. It's an ice. Why? So that we should know, Lodas, we should know, Hashem is the one who makes us holy. The Umar explains, what does this mean, so that we should know? What is, what is the Pasuk referring to? What is important that we know? So the Umar explains, the reference that we should know means that Hashem wants us to appreciate how valuable Shabbos is. The Gemara says that if you give a gift to someone, you have to let them know to appreciate it. Otherwise, he won't value the gift. He won't appreciate it. He won't treat it properly, and he won't use it for what it's worth. And the whole purpose will be lost. So, so too, Hashem told Moshe, a very famous medrash, "Matana Taiva Yeshli Kenazai." I have a wonderful gift in my storehouses. The Shabbos Shaman. It's called Shabbos. Vani Mavakish Let Know Yisrael. I want to give it to Klai Yisrael. Therefore, Lech Vahidim. Let them know. Let them know what I'm giving them. And that's this pasik. They should know that I am Hashem who's making them holy. Now the Chavot Chaim says, let's think about this for a moment. He says the wealthiest, the wealthiest people, they have a safe. Most of us, simple people, we don't have a safe in our house. We don't need a safe in our house. We don't have such valuable items that would require us having a safe. But wealthy people, they have enough wealth and enough valuable items that they have a safe in their house. If they're a little wealthier, they have like a nice big safe that's hidden behind a picture or something. They have, they have a safe. Uh, do you, would you find a rich person that actually has a vault in his house, a whole room that's an armored and protected room? That's very rare. Even the richest of people don't have that much stuff that they need to have a vault in their house. Who has a vault? He says that kings have vaults. Kings have a plethora of items that they've amassed over their years and perhaps their parents and the whole lineage of their kingdom you know, has been passed down from year after year. The royal treasures, they need a storehouse. They need a vault. They need a whole protected Fort Knox to, to protect all their treasures. But he says, even kings, how much do they have already? Each king has whatever, <coughs> excuse me, he's a man, but that's, you know, it's limited. There's always, always room for more. He says, imagine you could put together everything that every king had. You could put together the, the czar's storehouses together with the Turkish sultan's storehouses, with the sheik of Persia's 
uh, storehouses and uh, the emperor of China's storehouses, the king of England, etc., put all their storehouses together. Can you, can you imagine how tremendous and how much riches would be in their storehouses? And he says, with all that, does that mean there's not more wealth to be had? No, there's certainly more wealth to be had. They don't have everything. He says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Malach Malach he has everything. There's nothing he doesn't have. He has all the silver, all the gold, and anything precious in the world HaKadosh Baruch Hu owns and has in his storehouses. And Hashem says, do you know what I have in my storehouse? I have a Matana Teva, the most wonderful gift I have in my storehouse. That means there's nothing better than that. And that's what he wants to give to Kali Yisrael. Imagine the value of that matana and how much we need to value it. <clears throat> now I want to share a vart from the Sidurei Shal Shabbos. Sidurei Shal Shabbos is a Hasidic sefer, but it was very, um, very inspiring sefer, all about Shabbos, and it used to be learned a lot more than it is now. But before I share this vart from the Sidurei Shal Shabbos, I want to tell a story a little to appreciate who the Sidur Shabbos was. One of the original Rabbanim of uh, Bnei Brak in a, 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 a neighborhood called Zichron Meir, his name was Revisiv Halpern. And he said a story that happened to him when he still lived in Europe. He said when he lived in Europe, he often went to one of the, for the summer to relax in a resort. They had these resort cities in Europe. Usually there were like hot springs or there was an ocean there. And he would stay by one of the Jews who lived in that city. And he says this, this Jew was a very simple Jew. He was a farmer. And for all intents and purposes, seemed to be a very simple Jew. So he would stay by this Jew. And then it came Shabbos. He saw Arab Shabbos. This Jew went and he went to the mikvah. And when he came back, the Rav, the Sarvies of Hopkins, said, I almost couldn't recognize him. He seemed to have a different a different face, a different, a different appearance. He went to him, with him to davening. He went to Kabbalah Shabbos, to Marav, and he could tell he was davening on a whole different level than people around him. The, the, his tefillahs were inspiring. And he ate by him. He made Kiddush. The Rav Halpern, who himself was a Rav, was shaken by it. It was unusual. And his, the way he ate, the way he drank, the way he conducted himself, the way he said different Torah was like he said in Ishalikim, an extremely holy person. Then he says, he thought to himself, he must be one of the Lamed of Tzadikim. Shabbos passes, he makes Avdallah, and all of a sudden he's back to being a simple Jew. Next week, the whole week goes by, and there's no, no sign of this greatness, this tremendous spirit that this person had. His holiness, he, no, nothing. He was a regular Jew. So he stayed another week. Comes the next Shabbos, he wants to see, will this repeat itself? Sure enough, next Shabbos comes, same thing happens again. This Jew somehow is catapulted to some level which is totally out of sync to who he is the rest of the week. To the point where he was like almost fearsome on Shabbos. Again, Shabbos ends, makes Havdalah, he goes back to being a regular Jew. So finally, Yerveza Halpern approaches him and he says, you have to explain to me, what is going on over here? What happens to you on Shabbos? Where does this Kedusha come from? So the Jew tells him, I'll tell you the story exactly how it happened. I, I work in, I sell buy and sell livestock. Once I traveled far away to do business in the market of livestock 
and I made and did a lot of business over a number of weeks, and I put together a large sum of money. I was traveling home, and it got late. It was Arab Shabbos, and I knew I wouldn't be able to make it home in time. So I stopped in the city of Chernovich. The city, I wanted to stay in the city of Chernovich, but I had this huge amount of money, and I didn't know who I could trust with this money. So I went to the Rav. The Rav of Chernovich was of Chaim, Chaim Chernovich. He was the one, the author of Sidur Shal Shabbos. So I went to the author of Sidur Shal Shabbos, and I told him that I have this large amount of money. And he, this was Arab Shabbos. He already was preparing himself for Shabbos. So he was on a very, very high level, a spiritual level already. Kamat wasn't on this world anymore. But I told him, I have this huge amount of money. I need to do something with it. Can you possibly hold it for me? So Chaim returned to Sidur Shal Shabbos, said, not a problem. Put it over here in this box. So I asked him, this box, it, it, it doesn't seem like it's safe. Anybody could open it. He says, don't worry. I will lock it. It's going to be safe. Leave it here. And you can go stay wherever you're going to stay for Shabbos. Come back, collect it after Shabbos. Fine. So he puts it in the box, and he hopes that the Rav, Rabbi Chernovich, Rav Chaim Chernovich will lock it. And he goes, stays where he is. Much of Shabbos, he comes back. And he comes between us to the Rav, and he asks him, can I get the money that I, I, I gave to you? So Rav says, oh, oh my goodness, I forgot to lock the box. So we went, we opened the box, and sure enough, the money was gone. Rav Chaim Chernovich the Sidur Shashab was beside himself. He was responsible for the money, and he didn't even know how he'd be able to pay it back. It was more money than he could have, even if he would sell his house and everything he owned. So when I saw, this Jew was saying, when I saw how terrified and how upset the Rav was, I told him, and I, said, I, I, he, I almost collapsed, I told him on the floor, I told him, listen, Rebbe, I michael you everything. You don't have to pay me one dollar. I michael you everything. You know, you're not responsible for anything. So when the Rav, the Sidur Shabbos, heard this, he held my hand and he said, you've been so kind to me and you've forgiven me such a tremendous amount of money. I have to give you something back. What can I do for you? So he thought for a moment and the Sidur Shabbos, Rukhayim Chanavich, turned to him and said, you know what I'm going to give you? I'll give you a present. You, I give you a bracha that you should feel Shabbos Me'ain, somewhat of the Kedusha that I feel on Shabbos. It's not possible for you to feel everything that I feel. It would, you wouldn't be able to handle it. But I want you to be able to feel a little bit of what I feel. You should feel it, and that will be the, my present to you. And from then on, this simple man said, every Shabbos, I come to this Kedusha, which is totally out of the level I am, but it's just a little bit of the Kedusha that the Sidur Shabbos felt on Shabbos. So that gives us an idea of who the Sidur Shal Shabbos was. <clears throat> the Sidur Shal Shabbos said that when this Gemara says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I have a Matana Taiva. He says the simple understanding is, is that it was a present. That means Hashem had received it as a present. It means I have a present, I want to give it to you. Who gave Hashem a present? Who's able to give Hashem a present? So this is a beautiful, a beautiful pshat. He says that when Kla Yisrael were in Mitzrayim, they were working and they were suffering and it was a terrible time. Moshe Rabbeinu approached Parai and he told him, Parai, these people, they're working so hard, if you don't give them a break, you're going to destroy them and they'll be less effective as slaves. Give them a day off. And this way they can recharge, regenerate, <coughs> and they'll work even better the other six days. So, so <clears throat> Parai said, fine, I'll give you I'll give you the day. 
So they took their day, and Moshe Rabbeinu requested it should be Shabbos. What did Klai Yisrael do on that day of Shabbos? So the Medrash says that they took it, and they spent time learning. They had Megillus, they had some Messirah, things that they had from the Avis, things that they had learned, and they spent it learning. They spent it dedicating it to Akharjwah, whereas they were so suffering, it was so difficult for them. They had centuries of slavery and oppression. And instead of just taking the day off and recharging, they gave it to Hashem. And in this time, when things were so difficult, and it was such a time of darkness, this is the present they gave to Hashem. It's a present that's more valuable than anything else. It gives a muscle of a couple that they get married under terrible, terrible conditions and the husband has nothing to give to the wife, so he takes what little piece of metal he has, he carves on it something, he writes, this is a present, and gives it to her. Later on, they become wealthy, but that little present, that little piece of metal, means so much to her, because it was given when he had nothing else. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Matana I have this Shabbos that you've given to me. You, Klayetzor, gave to me, and now I'm going to give it to you, and you should understand how much Kedusha it will give to you. How much Kedusha you will have from it. Ladas, because you gave it to me, because you were willing to give up your time, you were give it, give up whatever little you had for me, I will not give it back to you. And I see, baby, that will be the symbolism of how close we are, how powerful our relationship is. Have a wonderful, have a good night and a wonderful Shabbos.